this is Ben Smith, I'm a photographer, and this is my podcast, A Small Voice, Conversations with Photographers. Thanks for listening. Hey folks, Ben here. Hope you're doing okay, despite the total shit show that is currently unfolding. It's a cheerful start, I know. Sorry. You're listening to episode 93 of my podcast, A Small Voice Conversations with Photographers. Thank you, as always, for joining me and welcome along. My chat this week is with photographer, dog lover, new baby wrangler and Photoshop publisher extraordinaire Martin Osborne. Before all that, the usual preamble and a couple of sponsor messages, which I would ask you to bear with me for. Don't skip ahead. Too late. If you enjoy this podcast and you derive an equal amount of pleasure or value from each episode as you do from a cup of coffee or indeed tea from your local hipster barista, then please do sign up for a small recurring monthly subscription or if you prefer, make a larger occasional donation at bensmithphoto.com slash small voice. Do please leave a positive review on iTunes so that others may find out about it and become listeners themselves. And if you should happen to be in need of a new website on which to showcase your awesomeness, I will happily spare you the headache of figuring out how to do it yourself using the Squarespace platform for a very competitive rate. This episode of the podcast is sponsored by the Martin Parr Foundation and the Charcoal Book Club. The Martin Parr Foundation, which is Martin Parr's gallery and archive based in Bristol, has recently launched its new membership scheme, the aim of which is to open up access to the Foundation's library and archive collection, as well as giving discounts on their talks and events and in their bookshop. Membership contributions will help the Foundation keep entry to their gallery free, grow their archive collection and champion overlooked and emerging photographers. So if you join as a Foundation member paying £35 a year, you will receive invitations to private views with free drinks, of course, access to Martin Parr's library of over 2,000 photo books, which is fairly awesome, I have to say, a behind-the-scenes tour of the archive and studio, and 10% off all items in the bookshop, and much more besides. The next tier up is called Supporter Membership, and is priced at £125 a year, and this includes all the aforementioned benefits of the base-level membership, plus a foundation tour led by Martin Parr himself, discount on events, and a signed 10 by 8 Martin Parr print, which is almost certainly worth a £125 fee on its own when you come to think about it. There's also a patrons level for those of you with a little more ready cash, which gets you all the benefits of the first two tiers, plus your portrait taken by Martin Parr, an annual patrons dinner with Martin, and priority booking for a secret event next May. As a very special offer to you, the Small Voice listener, you can claim a pack of eight special Martin Parr postcards for free when you become a Foundation member, with one of them signed by Martin himself if you go for the mid-tier supporter level. So to claim that special bonus, enter the code SMALLV, that's S-M-A-L-L-V, when you sign up online at Martin Parr Foundation slash membership. That's Martin Parr Foundation slash membership. The Charcoal Book Club are still, until December the 10th, accepting entries to the third annual Chico Hot Springs Portfolio Review and Charcoal Publishing Prize, for which you can submit now by going to charcoalbookclub.com and clicking on Portfolio Review in the top left corner. The Chico Review, at the end of March 2019, is a juried photo book retreat taking place over six nights at Chico Hot Springs Resort near Livingston in Montana's Paradise Valley. 45 photographers will be selected by the jury and invited to spend the week taking part in portfolio reviews, artist lectures, 
panel discussions and getting together over drinks in the saloon in Hot Springs. The all-star panel of speakers and reviewers will include Todd Heido, Mark Steinmetz, Andrea Modica, Alex Webb, Rebecca Norris-Webb, Aperture, Pier 24 Photography, Chose Commune, TBW Books and many more. So it's a rare chance to showcase your projects and workshop ideas with some of the best in the business. And one grand prize winner will receive the coveted Charcoal Publishing Prize, which means that lucky winner will earn the right to be published and distributed worldwide by Charcoal Book Club. Submit now by going to charcoalbookclub.com and clicking on Portfolio Review in the top left corner. And if you love photo books, join the club, use the code of small voice to claim a previous book of the month of your choice free when you do sign up. My guest this week, Martin Osborne, studied philosophy and psychology and then began a career as a 3D animator before eventually turning to photography. His key interest is in man's relationship to other animals. Although his imagery is sometimes dark, capturing the way in which we silence, control or distance ourselves from other animals, his pictures almost always strive for a subtle humour and he's produced several books, including two which feature dogs, The Silence of Dogs in Cars and Where Hunting Dogs Rest. As well as being a successful commercial and editorial photographer, Martin runs the independent photo book publisher Hoxton Mini Press with his wife Anne. They began at the end of 2013 after Martin self-published his own photo book, I've Lived in East London for 86 and a half years, setting out to bring accessible, beautifully produced, but affordable photo books about East London to a wide, non-specialist audience. And since then they've expanded that remit to other areas and topics and have turned Hoxton Mini Press into a thriving and distinctive imprint with almost 50 books to its name. So please do enjoy this entertaining and informative chat I had with Martin Osborne, which began with our discussing a particularly astonishing email he had received, which he just shared with me from a photographer who, for reasons that will become obvious, shall remain nameless. It's it's that incredible combination of massive um, ego and tiny ability, which you normally only see on... um, reality tv shows which yeah is what makes it he'd be great on a reality tv show actually um but it just makes you wonder how he gets through life with such a misguided view of um himself yeah. and the world yeah yeah it's extraordinary it's, it's just bizarre i have one memory of him which has really stuck in my head and of course you know I, when you're in a position of teaching people mm. you realize it's a really responsible thing because you can really have an impact on people's lives I just spoke to Donald Weber mm-hmm. and he was saying that a teacher told him, you know, that he was a shit photographer. And that, and that stays with you for a long time. And, yeah, he didn't pick up his camera for eight years, you know. And, and you know, conversely, if you get a great teacher and they say something incredibly encouraging, mm-hmm. you know, it can really set people up. Mm-hmm. But I remember he used to do these crits and he, I, I remember once I was showing him, showing him some portraits I'd done of a couple of friends of mine and um, he was saying to me, you lucky sod, you lucky fucker kind of thing. And I was like, what does he actually mean and he was like basically he was like you can't possibly have taken a good picture of because you know you're a good photographer this was just kind of luck he was trying to ascribe the the fact that they were good and he liked them to the fact that i got lucky and i was oh, like right. you twat yeah. what a fucking twat yeah. i won't put any of this out <laughs> well i don't mind if you do i mean it's um i was vaguely thinking i should um do you want to bring that closer yes please i was vaguely thinking i should post that email on the submission page and say this is what you don't do if you want to what, what, what an astonishingly it's incredible isn't overinflated it? sense incredible. of incredible and that, what was he I mean he's got to be pretty old now but I mean yeah, I don't even know 70s. anything he's ever really done that was of any 
significance. Yeah, but I've spoken to a few other people about him and say that he is quite what known for being like this. That's astonishing. And also, what a kind of karmic <laughs> mindfuck that to go around being like that and, and sending emails like that. You know, it kind of comes back on you, doesn't it? Yeah. In a way, it's like what, what's his life must be like if yeah. that's the kind of yeah. head he's got. Yeah, it's incredible. <laughs> Sort of Trump-esque oh, almost, actually. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh, man. Oh, well, I'll avoid putting the whole section of this chat out. How are you, Martin? It's good to see you, man. Good to um, see you too. Sorry it's taking so long. <laughs> not at all. You're a very busy person. Yeah. You, you um, effectively wear two hats, really, because you're not only a photographer, but also publisher of photography books. Hashtag Hoxton Mini Precious, my, as my kid would say. Um and uh, so, you know, and you have a baby. Mm-hmm. So, my gosh, uh, that's, that's a lot for anyone to have on their plate. But you're about to have your fifth birthday, not your fifth birthday, Hoxton <laughs> Mini Precious' fifth birthday. Yeah. Happy birthday. Thank uh, you very much. That's, that's amazing. So I guess it's a, a kind of good time to, I think what we'll do is we'll, um, it'll be an interview of two halves and we'll talk about Hoxton Mini Press and then we'll talk about you and your work. And therefore we sort of, uh, yeah, tick both those different boxes but um what are your kind of overall feelings uh approaching your fifth birthday i suppose it's a time of kind of reflection in a way when you hit, hit these kind of benchmarks um i feel very lucky actually and very grateful it's been a really really fun ride it's not i guess not it's not particularly often that you get to work in a job that you really love and enjoy and um where you get to work with so many creative, interesting people. So on the whole, it's been really satisfying. Uh, it's also been really hard. Publishing is a really, really hard game. And um, particularly if you're publishing fairly niche books um, and uh, photography books, which you're trying to sell for not extortionate amounts of money, it's quite, it's quite difficult to make the, um, the finances work. So I feel a sense of satisfaction and a sense of relief that we're still here because it's, you know, it's it's not really been very easy. Um, and, yeah, grateful to all the people, a huge number of people that we've worked with. It's a, it's a, it feels like a really sort of positive community of people that, you know, support each other. And, um, and I was speaking to this about this the other day that actually publishing is a fairly is a nice world you know the people in the publishing world they're not really out to stab you in the back and photographers are generally nice people so yeah very happy mm. so I, I mean i suppose for, for listeners who won't necessarily know uh, maybe you could just kind of give us a really give us the sort of well Explain what Hostel Mini Press is all about, I suppose, because I don't know if you have international distribution. If people in Australia or America will, will necessarily have, well, we do have we do have a distribution in in America and a little bit in Australia. Mm. Basically, we um, uh, we make uh, affordable photography books. Um, uh, I'm a photographer, and I've I love the big, expensive, you know, fifty pound photography books covered in cloth that have no title on the cover um and they're made of sort of the remotest japanese paper (laughs) but um but they don't you know they don't really sell to people beyond that closed photography world which seems to me a terrible shame really at the same time the books which do sell often feel 
fairly cheaply produced. So the goal for us was to, in in the age of um, the internet and, and supposedly dying print, was to make beautiful photography books which were affordable. Mm. And we started by making books just about East London. Um, in fact, it started with a book that I made um, about an old man that I photographed for a number of years called I've Lived in East London for 86 and a half years. Um, and it was, I produced it into a book purely for the love of paper, really. The mm. love of doing something which was a physical sort of summation of my efforts. And it was so satisfying and it actually sold really well that the idea was, well, why not do more books about East London? And hey, w- why not use all the you know massive amounts of talent that was sort of just overflowing in in around east london and hackney Mm. and that's really that's really us you've talked about it being niche and and photo books in themselves are a very niche thing Mm. and then you then went even more niche by focusing on a very particular part of the world so i'm just wondering did you even did you at any point think that it was so niche that you know you were going to kind of it would be counterproductive that you just no one would be you know beyond East London. Well, would be I mean, I think if we'd started it with a view to making money, we wouldn't have started it. We did it because we loved making books. I say we. This is me and my wife Anne, who who run the who runs a company with me. Um, we started it together, and um, we did it because we just. I mean, she used to work in a fine art gallery and me more as a photographer than I do now and we started it because we loved good 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 books basically mm. um and we also wanted to have focus um and we wanted to be uh, a small fish in a tiny puddle rather than a small fish in a in a in an ocean so we thought you know let's stay with what we know mm, mm. I, I kind of because I remember when you started it, and I was thinking, oh, you know, there might be, um, there's, it's going to be, I don't know, maybe a couple of books a year, and you've done fifty, nearly fifty. Yeah. So that's ten a year on average. And was that always the plan, or did that just kind of take it, to, you know, kind of take <clears throat> off in a way that you hadn't anticipated? Well, it did. It was much more um, popular than we uh, anticipated, but we did think about the finances and say well if we want to do this and it's going to take us a considerable amount of effort we have to be able to pay ourselves at least something to Mm. justify our time and it was just a a case of sitting down with a piece of literally a piece of paper and saying if we want to you know if we want to be able to give ourselves some sort of salary then we're going to have to turn over this much and to turn over this much we need this many books we need to sell this many of each book and it was actually a little five-year plan and the goal was at year five that we'd be producing about 14 books a year and we'd have a couple of members of staff and we now produce about 14 books a year mm. and we have three members of staff so it was some, something about you know writing it down and, and making a plan that actually made it sort of come come to life yeah um, if you do the figures yeah, it's because, quite hard to make it. Yeah, because it work. Yeah, it, it, you say it's a very simple maths because each book is only making a certain amount of money, and therefore you need a certain number of books. Basically, for, you know. Yeah, and and you're very you've talked very um, incredibly openly uh, about you know the numbers. I mean, I've been to talks where you've right. um, presented um, you know your your kind of Hoxton Mini Press uh, 
spiel uh, and it's fascinating for, for people to, to know you know how it all works and you're just totally transparent about it can you give us the basic bullet points yeah I'll give you a very simple bullet point so so if you're selling a book for 10 pounds or whatever then um, you know if you want to be able to sell more than two or three hundred books you can't do it from your living room you've got to have a distribution uh, channel and the distributors um, will take a chunk of the money as will as will the shops so um, typically shops would take 50% um, leaving five pounds from your book and then the distributor would take another 25% of what's left um, leaving you about 37% so three pounds 70 from a book um, and from that three pounds 70 you've got to pay for the printing of the book which might be three pounds um, and then you want to be able to pay the photographer uh, and then you've got to pay for the designer and then you've got to pay for the running costs of your business um, and that's assuming the book sells mm. for all the books that don't sell the cost of production does not get covered by the sales so if you're you know we, we what's left is pennies and if you i mean a lot of people think oh you know you're selling a book for 10 pounds and you sold a thousand right so you've made ten thousand pounds well actually you probably made about 400 quid you know, so it's 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 a difficult one, and we we're committed to not selling books for fifty, sixty quid because we know that they'll just go to the same sort of five, six hundred people. Mm, mm. Um, but we don't sell enough to really make the business model sing. We sell, I mean, the first book I I did is now sold, uh, I think seventeen, eighteen thousand copies in the UK, which for photography book is pretty good mm. um but most of our books are around the sort of two to three thousand copies which is still very good for a, a photography book but it's not yeah it's not huge mm. and the other thing is that as most people know the more books you print the cheaper the cost of printing them so the temptation is always to say let's print you know four thousand copies but it don't work if you can't sell them so you then have to think well Okay, we've got a photography project that's, um, you know, like the book we did with Zed Nelson on, on Hackney, um, called A Portrait of Hackney. Um, and it's a beautiful project, and he'd called it A Tale of Two Cities, which was a very, you know, poetic um, title, uh, you know, a literary title. Uh, it referred to the fact that Hackney was really about two, you know, it was, was full of clashes of cultures and people. But actually, if we'd made a book with that title... Uh, I'm not sure many people would have understood what it was. So we changed it to a portrait of Hackney, which is in some ways quite a flat title, but, mm, but it, tells it does you what, it, what it says on the tin so people could actually pick it up and we've sold it, you know, sold pretty well from that. Right, right. So, yeah, so you always had it in mind that it was going to it was going to be, you know, a brand, as it were, that, you know, there would be a consistency to the look of the books. Yeah, and- that's the other really important thing. Mostly publishing is not um, brand-led. Um, um, so you go, don't go into a bookshop and say, can I have the latest book by whatever publisher it is? Um, but you, you tend to go in and say, can I have the latest book by Jamie Oliver or Sebastian Salgado, whatever it is. They are the brand. And that's 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 makes sense for most publishers. But we really wanted um, our books to have a sort of unified, recognisable brand so that people would collect them and, and, and know of them. And... In a way, that's quite difficult to work with photographers on because every photographer 
comes in a different shape and size and every photographer quite rightly has their own agenda and a little bit of an ego and so to say to photographers listen we're doing a series of all books of the same size and they're small and they're affordable well you've got to persuade the photographer that their work is 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 going to fit that and um and also like myself when i've published books you tend to want your work to be really really big and on really, really expensive paper, yeah. and for the blacks to be absolutely black. And we print small, affordable, and quite often on uncoated paper, where the blacks aren't always perfectly black. And, and we have to persuade the photographer that it's not all about, you know, having absolutely perfect prints. It's about the book as an object and about communicating to a much wider audience. Mm. And do you want to have your work seen by... 10,000, 20,000 people um, in book format? Or do you want to have it, you know, seen by 500 people on slightly better paper? Um, So, you know, it's just about looking at the whole picture, really. That's the trade-off, isn't it? I mean, it's like you you do have the distribution. Your books are in, you know, all all kinds of different types of of bookshop. They're not just in like this kind of rarefied atmosphere of the the photo book kind of ghetto. And, um, yeah, that that seems to be a good good trade-off. But I should add, we print with some of the best printers in the world. So we're doing – some of our books are printed in China – um, which is people think, what are you doing? But, you know, books about East London, they should be printed in East London. And I'm like, we'd love to print in East London. But, you know, if we want to excel in a bookshop with, with, with Fidens and, and Tashins and everyone else who print in China, we can't afford to compete if we... So we, we print in China, but, I mean, we're using a printer in China that's also being used by Annie Leibovitz at the moment. And she spent two and a half years trialling different printers around the world, including Europe, and settled on this one printer in China. Mm. Um, and the and the production quality is, is phenomenal. And we use, you know, the same paper that was used in the recent Stephen Shaw book. So we're, you know, it's not like we, we, we use cheap materials. No, no, we, no. We use a really, you know, but we just try and do enough copies that we can get the unit cost down. Hmm. So have you gained any insights, having done it, into what tends to sell more or what the uh, elements have to be for that to happen. Yeah, I mean, we, you know, we often say that we we want to sell to the non-photographic audience, meaning people who have an in, who have a visual intelligence and a, and have a visual appreciation, but they don't necessarily know who even Martin Parr is, for example. And I think that's a pretty noble thing to try and pursue. However, um, it's harder to sell those photographic projects which are. Uh, more visually sort of demanding let's say mm. you know that require a little bit more decoding it doesn't mean that we didn't want to do just you know pretty pictures of um, you know sunsets not at all um but i think you know like if we were for example it was a sort of a pretty gritty documentary project about war or something mm. it would be hard for us to sell it because you know shock horror dare i say it but a lot of people still appreciate um Beauty. Yeah. <laughs> You're not allowed to say that now, but you know, to, we, you know, it doesn't have to be beauty in the in the obvious sense of pretty colours and shapes, but it has to be beautiful in the sense of sort of a sort of resonating, meaningful image, which which has a sort of a vi- you know visually pleasing. And I think you know we tend to do better with projects. Which uh, I mean, like for example, we did a book called Botanical, which was by Samuel Zeller, which is pictures of. Um, 
of greenhouses around the world, but the twist is that it was all photographed through the glass. So it's not an obviously pretty book on flowers, but it's also visually mm. very, very appealing. It's not depressed. You know, people don't want to look, open the book and be depressed, basically. Which And basically, also, yeah. if you did a book about war or something, it wouldn't fit with the brand. I mean, that's where you've kind of set some parameters in a way. I, mean, I suppose just, so. I mean, I'm, you know, we never say never, but mm. I mean, you know, we, we, we've discovered that the projects that do... I mean, like, for example, Nick Turpin's book, The Night Bus, pictures of people shot through the glass at night um, on, on buses... Um, and it's very painterly mm. and it's quite dark and foreboding, but it's got, I mean, and, you know, but it's incredibly beautiful and that's done really, really well. Um, other books that do well are books which are uh, about subjects that make them go beyond photography. So, for example, we did a book called One Day Young, which was photographs of um, mothers and their and their children born within the first, taken within the first 24 hours of birth, of life and by Jenny Lewis. Um, and that appeals to mothers, you know, yeah. <laughs> people yeah. who know mothers. Normal people. You know, yeah. so quite a large chunk of the population. So Yeah, yeah, it's got a certain amount of universal appeal there. <clears throat> uh, so when people uh, submit projects to you, what would be your kind of top tips in terms of the best way to kind of get your attention or if to, if you want to put it a different way what are the mistakes that people make well I, first of all i would say anyone who submits a project um you know respect to you because I, i've done it and it's difficult you're putting yourself on the line so that's the first thing to say mm. um and you know if we um ever say no I, I want it to be clear that it's not necessarily because the project's no good it's because we have a fairly tight remit um this for us i would say um and th- and i just this is something that slightly bothers me you know I, I've, I've judged lots of competitions and i've been i've entered in competitions and i've been rejected from lots of competitions and i think a lot of photographers like myself are fairly understandably um nervous about their own abilities and uh and insecure in some ways. And I think that there is this notion that there is a sort of, there's a right and a wrong in photography. And clearly there isn't, you know, I've judged competitions and I've said, that's a fantastic image. And other people on the board are like, that's awful (laughs) and vice versa. So, you know, if you don't get published or if you do get published, it doesn't mean that you're great or you're not great. You know, you've got to sort of believe in yourself. We look for projects where basically we think, um, do we love this and can we sell it? Um, and so for us, if it's about a subject uh, and we have a leaning towards London and we have a leaning towards urban stories, then um, if it's a subject which is um, appealing to a large number of people or if it's so incredibly visually arresting, um, then um, then then that's a, a big plus. The second thing is, um, can we describe this project in less than five words mm. and and that sounds terribly reductionist but if you go into a bookshop and you're browsing you're probably looking at a thousand titles in about five minutes and so divide the number of books by the time and you realize you've got less than a second to communicate to someone about why they should pick it up so the title and the cover has to really grab someone and and you know you you can't just have a striking image on its own well you can you might you can sometimes but you've got to sort of get across the message 
about what this is about. So if we get a project and we're like, we don't really know what this is about, then how are we going to be able to tell right. an audience what this is about? Right. So, so know. the so it obviously has to have been has to have been really considered, but you know the photographer has to have thought it through, and it has to have some kind of cohesion to it. But it doesn't necessarily have to be a finished edit or something. no, not at all, no, not at all, no, no. I mean, we quite enjoy working with the photographer, mm. and we work with various designers to to bring it to shape. Have you learned? you know stuff that you can sort of bring to your own practice through editing so much and through you know working on other people's uh, images well it's a very different process being inside a project than being outside of it mm. it's you know i know all too well how difficult it is to see the wood for the trees when you're up close yeah uh, and right. that's why i think it's quite nice to when you're a publisher and you have a designer who can sort of talk to the photographer and say look this is what we see from the outside you know, and, and, and one of the classic mistakes I was speaking to, this is what Dowie Lewis, um, another um, publisher, he's a fantastic publisher, told me is that if, um, you know, a photographer says, but I want that image to be in the book because I spent six months waiting for that image and it happened on the day that my cat got run over. <laughs> so it has a lot of meaning for me. That's not almost always a red flag because you're like, no one knows that yeah uh, unless yeah. that's part of the story no one knows that and no one actually really cares yes. what they see is what's on the page and so to see and this is one of the hardest things about publishing is to be able to see a book from the point of view of someone who's just picked it up right uh the more you know it the harder it is to do that yeah definitely and yet that is your job yeah which is i suppose it's sort of down to murdering your darlings isn't it like that thing of trying to detach yourself to the point where that the fact that that image is very important to you is not is not relevant really yeah. you've got to try and be objective that's very difficult as you say to yeah know. and it also is you know typically the photographer then say well i want my blacks to be 100 percent black and you're like well i understand that but again you could look at it from the point of view of why is someone buying this book right and there is this notion that when someone buys a book they sit down in in a perfectly lit room um and they go through from page one to page two to page three, all the way to page, and they read every word, and they go to the page, and then they sit down, and they, you know, that's not how books are normally consumed. Books are bought and, and collected and given uh, and touched and dipped into. And, and so you've got to think about what does it feel like, you know, and what, and what does the, you know, what does the paper feel like and, and how thick is the book? And, and, and if it's a certain size, it's not just that size because that fits the image best, but it's that size because that is a satisfying size to, to, to have in your house or on your shelf or anything else. So mm, mm. all those things have to come into play. Yeah. I had this, this revelatory moment because you mentioned in an interview that your dad is in publishing. Yeah. And then I thought, Oh, wait, Osborne yeah, yeah, yeah. Publishing. Yeah, I know Osborne Publishing. Yeah, yeah. That's so. That's your dad's yeah, company. Yeah. So I'm wondering he if he started that when I was born. So right, it's very wrapped up in my in your sort of, development. Yeah, yeah. And I, I, uh, I, uh, I, I don't really read books, and I think it's uh, it's been a, lo- a lifelong rebellion against my right. family because my mum's a writer and my dad's a publisher, and my sister's a bookworm, and so and I I, I just don't I, I'm not very good at reading, mm. and so I was always like screw books I'm going to be a, a visual person, so I became a photographer almost out of 
a dislike for books. And then I started doing photography, thinking it would be really nice if I had this work in a book. And it, it, it sort of that this sort of genetic love for books that must run in my family has seemed to resurface. Yeah. And now I'm um, I'm obsessed by <laughs> I'm a total paper geek. You, you can't escape your genetic <laughs> no, destiny. You, can't. you end up becoming your father. Yeah. <laughs> but um, I'm just wondering, have you like, do you ever? you know talk to him about stuff or have you asked him do you get tips off him i mean he must have been um you know potentially useful o- over the last five years when yeah, you've yeah, got a problem he, to he's, solve he's fantastic and we're very close um but he always makes the point that he knows nothing whatsoever about my <laughs> business he's quite good at saying that and um, of course he does know a lot but he works in children's books but i mean i think the whole notion of communicating um an idea on the cover through um a good title is very much from him and i think also not you know respecting commercial appeal you know it's quite easy i think to you know come out of photography school thinking you know i wanted i want to make books i want them to be the really obscure expensive beautiful but slightly confusing books you know and it's i think it takes a bit of a bit of sort of maturity to say you know what there's nothing wrong with making a book which actually sells yeah you know but also there's this there's this sort of um you know message that is constantly hammered home i think in the photography book world that you know it has to have all this depth to it and that you know it has to be something that people can you know keep returning to and find other layers so as a photographer you get bombarded with this message that you you know everything has to be incredibly incredibly thought thought through not to say that your book aren't they they are incredibly thought through but in a way it's you become precious i think about it in a way some you know as a photographer mm. you start to think oh i've got to tick all these different boxes and then you forget that the one box you're not thinking of ticking is how you know how many people are actually going to want to buy this and mm-hmm. look at it mm-hmm. so you've kind of joked that hoxton mini press has been disastrous for your photography career well, i don't know how much of a joke it is but is that well it's true? pretty true it's pretty true i mean um yeah it's pretty true i i I just i mean i'm just i've still got a photography studio and i'm just moving it actually today later this afternoon um um, because i'm just i'm not going to let go of my space and i and i um share it with um andy sewell who's a great photographer um and uh yeah i just haven't had the time Mm. but I i have to be honest it's also I, there's an avoidance there. Mm. I love photography and being a photographer, but there is a certain amount of fear in doing your own thing. And it's sometimes easier to produce other people's work and to go out and to do your own project and it not be good mm. is quite scary. And it's, it's, it's ridiculous, you know, cause I've done projects and I think they're pretty good. Um, but, there's always, and I've got lots of projects I want to do, but there's always, if you wake up on a Monday morning and you think, well, either I can go out and pursue this sort of slightly nebulous idea that I might spend two months on and it might come to nothing. Um, or I answer those five emails and just try and sort out that, you know, and it's one is, one is, one is tangible and one's not. And the temptation is always to sort of do the tangible. So, um, and then I occasionally, you know, I go to Paris Photo or elsewhere and think, God, you know, I'm really jealous <laughs> of all these people that get to do this wonderful mm. sort of personal practice. So, um, well, you've, at least as you say, you have got you've got a couple of books to your name, three, three or four to your name. That's that's pretty. That's a pretty good 
good um you know record but yeah i guess you have a time issue because i have a massive time issue yeah, yeah. and every, and, and and you, you i don't even have time to run the talk i mean the, to run hawks mini press you know you know and you know Anne, Anne is you know obviously we've got a baby now and Anne is running it with me and she can't work full time so it's uh you know and then having staff is great but you have to train the staff mm. um and is it weird to be an employer all of a sudden, as it were? Or is it just because it happens kind of incrementally, you kind of... Yeah, it's quite get... weird being as well. And I have to say, running a business is bloody hard. I yeah. mean, you know, starting a business and running it, you know, you, you go from having to fix the, the printer and then the coffee machine and then, then, the, and then the balance sheet, you know, all in one hour. Mm. Um, and sometimes the coffee machine is easier to fix than, than the finances. And it's uh, and then you have to you know manage people. Then you have to and then you have to know about producing books and the printing you know does messes up. And then you have it, it's, it's uh, um, and also so I apologise in advance if anyone does send a submission because I'm quite rubbish at getting back on emails. In fact, you have personal experience of how <laughs> bad I am. Or, or getting back on emails because you've been incredibly patient and, and persistent. So thanks for that. No, not at all. That's my. That's my. That's you know, one of my sort of um, learnings that I've had to to make for myself, which is that you know a little bit of patience and persistence is um, very often um, what's required for, with photography and you know mm. with anything else. So it's it's mm. good good to kind of you know ha- experience that that for real. Let's talk a little bit about the the Joseph book then, because we've we've mm. already talked about it, and it is it is the book that or is the work that that started Hoxton Mini Press. Um, I've lived in East London yeah. for eighty six and a half years, and I remember Joseph because I I met him out there in the streets a few times, and uh, and uh, I remember I was standing outside a bar, surrounded by hipsters, obviously as mm. you do, and and uh, in uh, in in Hoxton, it was it was called Number One at that time, and Joseph rocked up with his you know carrier bags mm, and yeah. uh just randomly started uh you know explaining that it used to be the old tube station there and in fact it's now called the old mm, uh, mm, the old mm. station or whatever but um you know all the hipsters sort of backed away you know as if as if his presence might you know kind of uh you know ruin their their sense of, uh, right. <laughs> of who they were but um i thought it was brilliant and, I, and we had a chat and he explained it all to me and i took a picture and that was it but um you, you got a picture of him? Yeah, I took a picture ah. of him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, not a very good one. I don't, I don't, don't remember. I'd have to go back to contact sheets and stuff. I don't, it's probably on film. But um, you got to know him very well, and, 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 and he was a subject. So did, give us a little flavour of, you know, how it started, I suppose. Well, I mean, I, I was, uh, you know, uh, I was probably, you know, I was a wannabe photographer at the time. Well, I was starting to be a photographer, and... Um, you know, I lived in Hoxton Square and I was probably trying and failing to be a hipster and, you know, and, and then I looked out the window and saw this this very old man standing amongst all these sort of, you know, um, young, colourful people. And I just thought, oh, poor, poor guy, um, which was patently the wrong reaction um, because I went down to photograph him thinking that he would be he was some stranger who was lost and probably drunk and he had a plastic bag in which I suspected there'd be a, a pint of something. And it turned out that he was uh, not lost. This was, this was, he was the original face of this area and all the other people sitting around him in Hoxton square were, were newcomers um, who were trying to turn this area into something 
entirely different. And he was a man who had grown up, born in Old Street, maybe maybe 200 metres away from Oxon Square, had worked in Hemsworth Street, which is 200 metres away from Oxon Square, putting rivets on suitcases, um, and had never really left, never left Britain, and only left London once or twice to go to the beach with his mother. And... And he wasn't an alcoholic. He was. Uh, he carried a, a a plastic bag with his keys and his bus pass and a and a and a orange squash, which is what he did every time I saw him. And he would just walk around the streets and talk to people. And I got to know him and um, thought, oh, you know, I'm. I, I'll take lots of pictures of him. Um, he's not down and out, but he's got such an old face that um, I'll win some awards, you know, with the portraiture. And I won absolutely nothing. Uh, then I thought, oh, well, these pictures are great. I'll submit them to an agency. Got nowhere. Um, and I thought, oh, well, you know, I can't be a very good photographer, but I quite enjoy hanging out with this bloke. Uh, and then we'd meet up and go for tea. He always had, you know, five sugars with his tea. and He never stopped talking. And then I thought, you know, great, I, I've got an idea. I'm going to do a book about the history of East London. And I'm going to interview him and take pictures and he's going to show me around and it's going to be a really good, worthy book. And he didn't want to talk about the history of East London. He wanted to talk about the sex life of celebrities because he'd been going to the local library and reading out of date Hello magazines um, (laughs) and knew that, you know, uh, Nicolas Cage's first girlfriend and um, you wouldn't know them, but knew of them and was fascinated by... um, random facts about the rainforest and things that he'd picked up in books so we'd have conversations that just went from you know um did you know that michael jackson's you know mother was from this and by the way um there is a plant that's in the rainforest and if you eat it it can cure every single disease in the world and i um that he that cats weren't invented when when Hoxton Square was first made or something like that. And it was sort of just you know bonkers. And I thought oh, this is hopeless, you know, this is absolutely hopeless. But then his his comments were so sort of like priceless and sort of like you know he would say you know I've never been married because if I had I would have I would now be dead because I would have been domineered all my life and that ain't good for nobody's health. <laughs> um, but if he'd wanted to, he really would have married a, a six foot four scandinavian women because <laughs> they're they're his favorites and he's about five foot but he'd three. never had a girlfriend or something he, he, he never had a girlfriend lived with his mother all his life um and um you know and he was lovely and but then he would say occasionally things like you know and i said are you ever lonely and he looked lived by himself and he'd walk the streets every day and talk to random strangers and he'd say oh there's no there's no point you know there's no point feeling lonely because if you cry when you're by yourself, no one sees it. Mm. So you might as well just get out there. It was a great combination of sort of hilarious and poignant, wasn't mm. it? Under some mm. of the things. But I, I, I remember a kind of early uh, version of the book, um, which didn't feature quotes from him. Am I no, thinking of that the wrong? There th- was there was a very early edition of the book, which was paperback, and it's I've still got it. It's got I think, about six hundred copies, and it was. Um, no, it was all still because I I I, I remember yeah I, oh okay I didn't I didn't realize that because because the, the quotes kind of they bring they bring a sort of they bring something to it which is really kind of special because you get a sense of who he was through yeah, the things yeah, that he said yeah. and that as you say has been possibly what the best selling no it's the best selling by quite a long shot mm. um, and it sort of encapsulates 
um, Hawks and Mini Press, really. Yeah. It set the tone, is it? Yeah, it set the tone for sort of, you know, uh, sort of playful, hopefully meaningful stories told through through photography. Mm. Um, and that's the other thing you asked earlier, like what, what makes um, a book do well? Well, uh, if, if there's a story in it and some words that bring the pictures together, um, that makes a makes yeah. a big difference. Yeah. Um, well, let's talk a little bit about dogs. We can't talk to you without talking about dogs. Can <laughs> we? It's, I mean, um, it's, it has to it has to happen. Um, you did a lovely book called "The Silence of Dogs in Cars." Mm-hmm. Um, you're a big dog fan, we should say. You've got two dogs, but you always talk about this uh, very uh, significant. Um, event from when you were little where you were in your, yourself were locked in a car for a brief period of time well i just remember as as i'm sure most kids well actually i suppose it doesn't happen so much anymore i can't quite imagine leaving my daughter in a car no, but it wouldn't but happen i now. think um, someone would call the cops no i know it's, it's those days isn't it parenting but, you know, has changed yeah, parenting has changed you cry, the kid cried he's left him in the garden with a little, little swig of whiskey but i mean it's um i think i was you know left in a car for a short time and it was probably outside a supermarket. I don't really remember, but I do remember the fear that no one would come back, um, and I and and that and that fear that I was uh, alone stayed with me for a long time. And you know, and I've suffered from anxiety and depression, and uh, and, and and a lot of sort of anxiety, you know, a lot of senses of sort of. I, th- I think that that sense of sort of loneliness has, has fueled a, a lot of my life and my work. And, mm. and 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 I also my my appreciation of animals and my horror uh, at seeing them suffer at the hands of humans and and I remember this um, always being fascinated by this image of in my head of of, do- of a dog in a car and I couldn't get it out and I had a great assistant at the time who said to me well why don't you photograph it I said well look you know who would want to see a project on um, a photograph of a dog dog in a car i mean it sounds funny and silly but it's not it's not really funny and silly in my head and i sort of tried to squash the idea for about two or three years and i think if you are trying to squash an idea and it doesn't squash um then it has and it has a certain vibrancy and a certain life of its own Mm. and so i went out and photographed um a dog in a car i knew someone who had a nice car and you had a nice dog put them in it set lots of lights up didn't want it to be during the day because I, I, it would just look too much like a, I don't know, an advert for not leaving dogs in hot cars or something. It had to be at night, and I wanted the project to feel otherworldly um, because it was a very dreamlike experience in my head. This memory of being, and it, and it had to feel emotionally poignant. And I was photographing this this dog with lots of lights, and then the lights broke. Well, they just didn't fire apart from one light. And the one light fired and it, it, it accidentally lit through the back of the car and caught the rim of the dog's hair And he, as he was looking down to the ground. And, it, and, that, and that picture was it. And I was like, that's it. You know, that, that picture is, is, is what this is about. Um, I went back and looked at it and was like, you know, there was something about the dog in the car that spoke to me about my experience. Mm. Um, and then choosing the images for that project was not so much about saying, you know, which has got the best lighting or composition. It was about which which encapsulates that feeling the most. 
Um, and it was a project that sort of almost played itself out, you know, because it had such a rich emotional um, narrative. It was almost like mm. pulling out um, a string from inside me um, that all just came out in one go. Um, and the pieces of the, of the, you know, and the, all the pieces fit together very quickly. And it was, um, it was in some ways quite straightforward to, to do that project. Mm. Um, well, that's, that's what gave it, I think, the, the, the poignancy in a way, the fact that it came from such a kind of deep place from, from within you. Because uh, even if you're not particularly into dogs, it's a very beautiful and poignant project well thank you yeah well that's that's nice to hear i mean um i will hope it's also quite funny as well yeah and yeah. i i didn't i don't mind there being pictures which are ridiculous because actually sometimes our inner worlds and feelings are pretty ridiculous when mm. you look at them but do you think that that this experience albeit though it was only you know a few minutes of your young life could that have actually had an impact on the fact that you then you know have as you said publicly i've had struggled with depression no it's not because of that experience no. i think that it, it's you know it's i don't know what, what causes it it's maybe my genetics but it's not it's not triggered by one experience but that experience resonated with something mm. inside me so i think you know it's quite possible to sit in a car for three minutes and just say i'm waiting for my mum to come back but if you're feeling anxious deep down about something else then your mind will go to places like you know maybe i'll never Maybe I'll always be alone. Mm. Um, and, you know, of course, I wasn't alone. Of course, I had a very, very loving, you know, upbringing, wonderful parents. But there is still nevertheless a part of me which is like a dog in a car. Mm. Mm. Um, yeah. So then the other dog project you did was the was the hunting dogs project, Spanish hunting dogs. Um, how did that come about? What, where was the Well, I, I decided um, I was so sort of invo- uh, concerned about sort of animal welfare um and about the treatment of animals and yet was a committed meat eater and um and had done absolutely nothing uh to ever really help any animals that i thought um i'm going to i'm going to just take a year off and travel the world and see how many animals i can save and see whether i actually become you know meat free and 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 whether i really do have a heart for animals or whether it's just something i talk about and and i and i did i went i went traveling around the world and um uh worked with people undercover in the dog meat trade um in asia and um went to india lived in india for a while helping street dogs and and um and the idea was to write a book uh which i did actually write and it was about to be published by by penguin and then it got dropped the last minute but in that process i went to work with dogs in um spain um and they have a a huge problem with it's a bit like the greyhound problem in the uk they have a problem with with these spanish greyhounds that are used for hunting chasing hares um it's a long long tradition in spain and they have um they get abandoned uh, when they're no longer fast enough uh, or when they're too old, so like four or something. Um, and it's estimated by some experts that up to 200,000 a year of these dogs are, are, are abandoned or worse, they're actually killed in, in mm. sometimes ritualistic uh, ways. Um, so I started photographing them and it was, again, it was a project that was about the vulnerability of these dogs, but it was inspired by the paintings of Velasquez, 
um, who painted um, at a time when these dogs were actually considered almost like nobility. And if you were to kill one of those dogs in the time that he painted um, uh, and in the areas where he painted, which was uh, in the southern Spain and also Madrid, you would be put in prison. When nowadays you can just throw them in a river and it's mm. not even noticed. Mm. So, again, it's sort of, you know, quite a sad, sad project, yeah. um, quite heavy. But you brought that aesthetic, that painterly, you know, the you, that's how the idea kind of yeah. came about, the way that you shot them against the, you know, in a kind of yeah. a classical way. Yeah. yeah, yeah, no, I think, I hope so, yeah. Yeah. So how did you get into photography? You you trained as an animator, didn't you? Well, I uh, did, uh, yeah, I, 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 yeah, I did a, a master's in Glasgow's Art and animation uh, and then was going to get a job um, working on um, actually the movie Ice Age, Ice Age 1. Uh, and then I had a problem with my visa and I got a job working for um, Anne Wood, who made Teletubbies mm. and worked for a number of years in children's TV as a creative director. Uh, and then when that uh, finished, I just went traveling for six months with a camera and um and that was it right so self-taught you didn't um do any yeah 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 completely self-taught yeah, <laughs> yeah. um and what i mean i guess in a way this uh, this problem that you have uh with time would mean in a way that you know if you if you figure that out then you're in quite a nice position because you could do your own project do your own personal projects without the need necessarily to do Photo- photographic work commercially or whatever in other words to get jobs and the, the yeah. Hoxton Mini Press could be the income is that is that something well that it's not really of- enough no. on the Hoxton Mini Press I mean um, I, I have to say any photographer doing their own personal project is up against it yeah. uh, it's really it's really hard because the idea that you can sort of spend half of your time earning enough money so that you can then not only not work while you're doing your personal project, I mean work commercially, but also pay for your personal project mm. is is a really tall ask. It's hard enough to make money in photography. But to say, well, I need enough money to go and spend six months in a remote island photographing this tribe and and on doing on film is, 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 is just really hard. So I'm not really in any harder position than anyone else, but mm. it's still it's still really hard. Yeah, and then you throw a kid in the mix, and I'm like, how does anyone with? Yeah, yeah. I, I was speaking to Simon Roberts, who's got three, and I was just like, how does he do anything. any photography? Yeah, or do anything other than look after kids? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I, I've only got one, and and um, how old is you know, he? One's enough. He's not just turned nine, right? And um, full on, right? You know, yeah, it's full on, and and um, I don't. Yeah, I mean, I don't really work very, and you very do. often. You do a podcast, do a podcast. Like this, which well, takes that, up a lot of time. Yeah, and I'm trying to do a personal project as well, which I've been doing for a long time. Do you have a lot of ideas, though? Do you like? Do you like? Are you good at generating ideas for things yeah, that you would you I'm would do if of, you had the time? Yeah, I've got about four projects that are bubbling away, and one of them actually is, um, I, and I have started this. It's when working on a, um, a children's book, uh, or photographs, and it's um, it's a it's a story about. Um, foxes and it's a story about a fox that um uh explores london um in 24 hours and it's um the problem is that i started photographing it uh, and it looks great but it's quite it's not very kid-like 
Mm. And and the and I was wondering why are there not really any children's books which are photographed? I mean, there's one or two, but there's simply not. I mean, compared to the number of the illustrators, is it because photography inherently doesn't do such a good job of telling stories to young kids? Or is it that it just hasn't been done properly? Yeah, it's a good point. Um, but, you know, and I started doing it, and I think it's something, it is, there's something inherently difficult about it, because when you take these photographs of this fox, and, you know, and I'm using a, uh, I'm using a stuffed fox, which is, which is, you know, and it, that it's sort of part of the gag, really, is it's, it's this sort of stuffed fox. But I think that is it's quite a sort of scary thing to photograph a taxidermied fox sort of in a forest at night outside London. Mm. And um, kids are going to look at it and go, it looks really real, but is it dead? You know, whereas if it's a sort of hand-drawn uh, picture of a fox, then it's sort of somehow it's more fun. But having said that, you know, my favourite book as a kid was Where the Wild Things Are, which is which is which is really scary. Mm. So, don't yeah, know. yeah, quite a lot of kids' books are quite scary. Well, again, your dad might have a, have an insight into into that because that's his that's his. <clears throat> no, business. he just says oh, I don't know anything about photography. <laughs> That's his stock response. No, he, yeah. he, he's incredibly helpful, but he's, you know, it's a very different world for him. So, so you're going to have to fi- uh, you know, figure it out yourself and, and, yeah, and solve the problem. And I'm not, and I'm stuck with it. And, and when I'm stuck with something, I'm, I'm a, bit of a, 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 a bit of a weed and I will just turn away and do something else. Mm. So I need to get back to it. So you have to do. somehow force yourself to yeah, yeah. address it. What other, uh, what other ideas have you got in the pipeline that you can well, sort of talk I'm, about? Well, I'm doing... I, I'm, everyone always thinks you're not meant to talk about the ideas that you haven't really fully formed. But, um, well, I'm working on a project with um, uh, farm animals. Mm. I'm quite interested in the way that we are presented um, farm animals. You know, we have a sort of vision of them running around in green fields. Um, and also we, we have visions of them stuffed in in cages and, and, and you know, killed unceremoniously but i kind of want to do a project um and it's going to be black and white and shot um five four i want to get back to to film um and by the way shooting a cow on five four um is bloody hard because they move (laughs) uh and they have no interest in being um in being photographed but i kind of want to do a project and i won't go into too much detail about how i do it but i want to do a project which presents the animal in a way that's quite raw um, and unadorned um, and I don't want it to be beautifully lit and I don't want it to be uh, incredibly posed. I want it to be um, such that when you look at the picture uh, that you meet the animal um, and that it's not uh, you know, an animal in a green field or an animal in a bad situation or an animal. It's just, it's a portrait that, that I think there's, you know, very few portraits or or photographers are able to capture people in such a way that you really meet them. Uh, when you look at them, you meet them. And it's the same when I was photographing the dogs, there was this feeling of how do I, it's not about whether the light was just right. It's about what, when the dog looks at the camera in such a way that they show something of themselves um, and often that wasn't the, the 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 shot where the dog looked stoic or looked strong it was a shot where the dog looked unsure or nervous or whatever um, 
it was almost a shot before the shot. Mm. Uh, and, and I'm sort of thinking about how do I take pictures of farm animals in such a way that when you look at it, you go, I've sort of actually connected with this animal. And I think it's a lot to do with the gaze of the animal and how they look at the camera. But anyway, it's really hard because you take a picture of a cow without special lighting or anything else and it just looks like a cow. <laughs> you, know, you don't really get to see the soul of the cow very easily. So, and nor can you ask him to pose. So, you know, whether that works, I don't know. Well, that's going to be interesting to see how mm. that pans out. It's going to be a mm. challenge. When you think back to to five years ago, exactly, what um, like what advice would you give yourself, having uh, having been through the 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 experience of of five years of Hodgson Mini Press? Um, Apart from just keep going, yeah, um, I would say you know just go for it, and um, you know um, I think it's. I think it's it's just important, isn't it, to sort of throw yourself out there. You know, whether it's your photography, your publishing, I think it's important to be able to mess up. Basically, you know, you know, we've we've done some books which haven't worked, and I think it's really and it's in same with photography. I've done projects which are shit. You know, and it's important to basically think. You know, I could be dead in five years. Mm. Could you know? I could be, and um, I need to just go for it. Yeah take some risks and um, make some mistakes. Yeah, yeah. I think that's really... But no no, no, no other really specific advice. And and enjoy it, I suppose, but, yeah. Try to, yeah. Yeah. There's so many questions I wanted to ask you, Martin. I can't remember any of them now. It's just a bit crap. What else could we um Well, it's interesting about? to think about where books are going, I suppose. Mm. Um, you know, where the photography book is going. You, some people might think it's, it's had its heyday, you know. Um... And is it now in decline? Don't know. Mm. Um, don't care that much because um, I think there's always going to be people that love good books. Well, I think that because we now have Kindles and that kind of thing, you yeah. know, I think your average kind of novel, your average kind of paperback, mm. which is just a book to be read. Yeah. I can see why, like, I've, I've got a Kindle, I love my Kindle, I, I, I love the fact that I don't have to move a gazillion books every time I move flat anymore. Yeah. But when it comes to a photo book, because the physical item itself is a lovely thing, mm. in a way I think it's good for them that other books won't, are not necessarily mm. going to be so mm. necessary, do you know mm. what I mean? No, because you can't, no, you can't mean. have a photo book on a bloody yeah. Kindle. Yeah. So it's the fact that the books that will be popular from now on will be books that are in themselves a kind of nice object. I, compl- I couldn't agree with you more. Um, and that's it. That's the sort of premise of our company that, uh, you know, as things go online, then what's left has to be beautiful. Mm. Um, you know, and you've got to, you've got to be able to put it on your shelf and there has to be justification for it, you know. Yeah, yeah. Looking at my shelves now, you know, sort of full of, full of books and every now and then I'll prune it and the books that I'll throw away are ones which feel like they are holding information but they're not holding beauty or meaning yeah and information that is either out of date or which I could get online or which I don't need anymore I don't need any of the photography books but I want to have the photography books yeah exactly Um, and it's an emotional thing isn't it yeah definitely but you won't be publishing your own projects with Hoxton Mini Press, at least you haven't done up to now, apart from 
Well, Joe no, I might. Project. I might. I mean, if it fits, you know. Yeah. Have you thought fits. about stuff that might? Yeah, fit? yeah, yeah. I think I, you know, I might, I might even sort of re-release the Dogs and Cars as a sort of smaller, more affordable book. Mm. Um, don't know. Because you have expanded beyond just um, books about East London. Yeah. It's, it's it's actually really you know taken on different. It has, uh, and it's aspects. difficult, actually, because we're always like, it's quite easy when you've got a simple sort of geographic identity and say, we do East London, and you can sort of pretty much do anything as long as it's in East London. Whereas once you go beyond East London, you're like, well, who are we? Mm. What are we doing? You know, and it's it's been really difficult to know who we are and, and how it will work. Because, you know, the, the first idea was like, oh, we, 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 you know, we, we do East London, let's, let's do... I don't know Brooklyn next or Tokyo, but it's like we don't know those places like we know oh, right. where we live. And anyway, we'd have to get a whole new audience and I'd start again. Mm. Why don't we just grow out from East London to London and then go beyond London? But but uh, but whilst maintaining, I think I think our sort of mantra is that we look for East London beyond East London. So mm. in other words, whatever that means in terms of like you know creative gritty urban stories can we look for them elsewhere yeah Yeah, i mean i'm kind of the point that i i guess i was thinking about in terms of the niche question was is someone in tokyo gonna pick up a hoxton mini press book which is about hackney and and get something interesting out of it and i suppose the answer is probably yes even though they don't know anything about the yeah, Hackney Canal you know, or whatever. Yeah, I think so. I mean, there's a, there's universality, isn't there, in many things. I've got the book Tokyo Paris, which, you know, I love. And it's and it's not... I, but And I think Tokyo is a really good example because I think, I mean, you know, from what I've seen, they have a fantastic culture for beautifully designed books and, and mm. photography. Um, so I think hopefully they can. And we do sell some. And there's a lot of Anglophiles, I think, in Japan as well, aren't there, so. to some extent? I think so, yeah, we do. We'd like definitely like to... I mean, we were planning on me and my wife going to Tokyo and then we had the baby and we still would love to go to Tokyo. Mm. Yeah. Mm. yeah, I mean, I suppose, you know, kind of going international would be the next... Uh, well, from know, a publishing point of view, step. it makes a lot of sense because you, if you can make a book which sells in different territories... You can you can you can sell a lot more, and you can sell the rights, um, and and it makes the business model. Mm. It just gives you more room to breathe, um, and to get more help, um, and then to be able to do more varied projects. Um, so we would like to be able to sell, you know, more copies in America and elsewhere. And we are we just you know we're, we're we are we are distributed in the US, and we are expanding over there. So. Mm. How does the next five years look then, in no, terms I, of? I, um, do you think? I don't know. Of course, you I wish don't I know, had. But... No, no, but I really don't know. Yeah. You know, if I was, I feel like if I was a better businessman, I would be um, giving you a, a sort of five-year plan and saying. Um, um, but I mean, you know, I think I think where we want to be is in a position where we are, you know, financially sound. Uh, we don't want. We're not doing this to try and make. Um, mega bucks we're doing this because we love making books that we're proud of so i think it's i think it's to build the brand further so that we have a recognizable style and set of books i think it's to continue to bring good photography to a wider audience and to celebrate the book as a medium and um i think hopefully to sell books um in places like tokyo and all around the world um and i think 
potentially to move beyond photography into other sort of visual sort of art forms, whether it's design or or architecture. Um, um, but to be basically a sort of celebration of of, of visual culture, mm. I suppose. I think photography will always be our home, um, and East London will be our base, um, and that will inform everything we do. But um, I think we'll we'll probably move beyond um, photography as a you know as mm. a medium. Well, I I wish you the best of luck with it. I I love Hoxton Mean because I think it's a fantastic achievement, really. And thank and, you very and, much. Um, and thanks yeah, for coming to all our launches. I've and enjoyed so, so many of your of your of your of the books, and and of course half, half your authors have, have done the podcast, which is lovely. Um, well, well, maybe not half, but you've done fifty who, books. Who who, 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 which ones have you? You done Jenny Lewis. Jenny's done it. Zed is yet to. To do it, but hopefully we'll he's, eventually. If you get that, he's great. He's hard to pin down. Everyone he's tells me that. Pin down. It gives me even, it makes really, me even more frustrated. No, that he hasn't he's got, really, he's Zed, really hard come to pin down. Come and do the podcast. No, Zed, Zed, God's sake! If you listen to it, Zed's great. He's hard to pin down, but he's 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 great, and he's no, a, no, he's, he's, a, he's a I've good. Um, he's he's got some good stories, um, and interesting points um, of view, and he's quite honest about it. The other, who else has done it? Um, who, who did the motorbike? Um, the motorbike guys. Oh, you mean Chris Tolley Brown? No, no. Chris is going to do it very soon. Oh, is he? He's, yeah. he's going to be brilliant. No, Chris I love is Chris. Great, well, yeah. I, I just sorted out his website for him. Oh, did you? Yeah. So, oh, right. so, and and he started talking to me because I I sort of was familiar, very, very familiar with his with his. Well, obviously, I knew about the books he'd done, and those have been popular, haven't they? I mean, the ones he edited, that the one. Well, that, he's one of our one of our you know faves. He's, he's yeah. We've done a number of books with him, and also he did the Stand in Color, which he, he right. found all the. That's the one I mean. Yeah. Yeah, amazing stuff. Um, so Chris is going to talk to me soon um, because he started telling me stuff and I was just like, oh, I've got to get this guy on oh, the podcast. He's, he's just yeah, brilliant. Yeah. No, but who did the one about the urban urban motors? Oh, uh, um, Spencer Murphy. Spencer. So Spencer. Yeah. Spencer's Yeah, he's been a on. lovely guy. Yeah, I love Spencer. Um, really nice guy. So yeah, I've had I've had a, a good good few Hoxton Mini Press people on. Oh, and now you, thankfully. Yeah, 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 well it is. Well it is. Well um, you should get, get some other um, Hoxton Mini Press characters. Have you, have you had Doogie Wallace? <laughs> don't, don't even start I'm still trying to get Doogie Doogie oh, come really? and do the podcast yeah I mean, doing I thought he'd be up for it I, uh, he may be in principle I, he, there's a certain amount of resistance I don't know whether we're going to put this uh, <laughs> out I think, I think we'll probably put this out certain amount of resistance from Doogie I, I'm not exactly sure what the reason he was for on is. TV not long ago and I, I think he, he was he was he was very watchable yeah he is and, uh, and entertaining I mean uh, obviously character. I think people in America might need subtitles <laughs> uh, you know for, for his Glaswegian uh accent but there's nothing we can do about that no um yeah hopefully he'll come to it sometime soon right okay but thanks mine it's really no, appreciate you giving me the pleasure. time and no, be, i'm so glad you. that we got to do yeah, it i'm glad and we did it finally happy fifth birthday thank you so much are you coming to the to the birthday yeah party? of course yeah, of course do, yeah. Do, do yeah come along all right great all right thank you thank so you much. Thank, thank you, you.